as you said, just two weeks ago, if you said, well, they're going to try and take cash away, people would say, you're being paranoid. They're going to surveil people to check, check you at bridges to see if you've got a temperature. People would say, they wouldn't do that. That's crazy. But they're, all, they're, they're planning to do it all. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. It is the 20th of April, 2020, and today we have a guest lined up for you who is a new guest to the Corbett Report, but hopefully not new to many of my listeners. Uh, Kit Knightley is a writer-slash-editor at Off Guardian. That's off-guardian.org, which should be familiar, I think, to the listeners by now, because I've referred to their reporting repeatedly, especially during the last month or two of this unfolding coronavirus crisis, or what we are being led to believe is some sort of crisis. And I referred to their work repeatedly in the last several weeks because uh, Off Guardian is one of the best sources I've seen collecting information and data from a level-headed, scientific, but non-sensationalistic perspective about what is going on right now and the way that this has been blown out of proportion. So I very much appreciate that work. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do so off-guardian.org. Of course, the link to that and all of the things we talk about today will be in the show notes. Kit Knightley, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. Hello, James. It's good to be here. All right, let's start uh, for talking about the, the way that Off Guardian has been covering this. Um, but actually, I get ahead of myself. I, I think we should maybe introduce the site in a more general sense to people who don't know why Off Guardian. What is this site and what is its raison d'etre? Well, the, um, the name originally came just because the, the five original people who decided to set up the, the site were all banned from commenting at The Guardian. This happened in 2014 during the uh, Ukraine crisis. Um, the comment section on The Guardian that, that summer, that spring, summer, became incredibly combative. And they started bringing in these very strict editorial guidelines, basically banned anybody expressing a certain opinion, which is to say that the Ukraine situation was being stoked by the West in order to demonize Russia. Um, and so somebody, this was well before I was actually involved with the site, a bunch of them got together and said, well, we'll start up our own site just where we can post our opinions. And that's really what it was meant to be to begin with. And then we started getting articles sent to us. And somebody contacted me and said, would I like to be involved in just post-formatting articles and posting them on the site? And that led to me writing a few, and that led to us taking many more submissions until it became basically just an alt news site of itself. And the name is sort of anachronistic now, but we're stuck with it. Well, I have noticed, actually, um, before uh, the world changed forever, uh, there was a, a series that we were doing um, specifically looking this week in The Guardian or something along those lines, yeah. which uh, it was worth, was uh, worth a, a laugh anyway. But uh, perhaps... It was supposed to be a long-running series, and then a month into it, suddenly the coronavirus happened. Yeah. And simply had time. And all The Guardian talks about is the coronavirus now anyway. So. Yeah, exactly. So I guess there oh, well. is a lot of uh, combating the Guardian propaganda embedded in the site, but just in a different way. At any rate, um, let's expand this conversation to the topic du jour, the topic of the year, I suppose, um, COVID-19 and coronavirus. And I wanted to try to get a handle on the type of re reporting that you're doing there. Of course, I have referred several times to your excellent compendium of uh, experts who are questioning 
the uh, corona crisis, 12 experts uh, questioning the coronavirus panic and uh, eight more experts questioning. And I can't remember. There's there's dozens. And I will refer people to all of those articles. But I wanted to talk specifically about an article that you composed that puts some of the craziness of this this, the way the science is being manipulated to whip up fear and hysteria in the public into perspective. That was an article that you penned uh, a couple of weeks ago called COVID-19 Death Figures, A Substantial Overestimate. And uh, I think this is important because as I stressed in my last podcast, the death tally is the number that is being flashed in front of our faces on an hourly basis at this point. And it has obviously a lot of psychological significance making many, unfortunately, believe that there is something very firm and scientific behind this death count, as if this is a simple, is he dead or is he alive? Well, it should be the simplest stat that we have, but unfortunately it is not, and you've compiled that in this article, so I'll direct people's attention to us to it, but tell us a little bit about the types of information you found about the way these death tallies are, are being done. Well, the... In a way, the most peculiar thing about the COVID-19 case so far has been that they are not hiding the data. Like the the substantial overestimate is a direct quote from an article by a veteran pathologist in The Spectator. And there are many other articles referenced in The Times and The Telegraph. The data is right there. And yet it is separate from the narrative, which never references the data and the data never references the narrative. And what you have to do is just basically ignore everything the media says and just look at the numbers and then look at where the numbers come from. And the mortality rates are established using a set of rules just for the coronavirus written into the coronavirus bill, which we'll, we'll talk about later, which says basically in the UK, if a doctor thinks a person may have died of coronavirus, they can put it on the death certificate. Um, it's couched in, you know, bureaucratic terminology, but that's basically what it boils down to. And that is the same in Germany, and it's the same in China, and it's the same in the US and Austria. Those are the, the five I'm definitely certain about. Considering it's across those five, I, you have to assume other, other nations are doing the same thing. And that it must all come from a WHO guidance, which is similarly phrased. Um, basically, that means that all of the death numbers have a certain amount of guesswork in them, which makes them all totally meaningless. Especially if we don't know how much guesswork. I mean, it could be 10%, it could be 50%, it could be 90%. The number could be totally meaningless. And seeing as hundreds of thousands of people die every year from conditions called flu-like illnesses, which are not tested and doctors know not to bother testing, if you're 80 plus years old and you develop a chest infection and it turns into pneumonia and it carries you off, that is sad, but there's no real point in doing an autopsy and a smear test to figure out what the real, what the specific virus was that did that damage. And now all of those people will now just be assumed to be COVID-19 and we'll get numbers that sound frighteningly large, but are pretty standard for the number of people that die every year. And I'm, I'm kind of trailed off my thought there, sorry. Um, I, I want to pick up on something that you mentioned, though, that I think is particularly important to underline, which is the disconnect between the data and the narrative. And I think you're right. We see this in a number of different lines of inquiry, including the death the death, death count and how they're doing that, but um, everything else besides. And one that sticks out in my mind immediately is 
uh, Anthony Fauci, of course, directing the the U.S. efforts. And th- just a couple of weeks ago, predicting there may be 100,000 to 200,000 deaths if we do everything perfectly, shut down the country and all of this, of course, now being uh, seen to be a substantial overestimate, which itself was a substantial downgrade from the original Imperial College estimate of 2.2 million deaths. But in the New England Journal of Medicine, Fauci uh, wrote just a couple of weeks ago, or a few, yeah, a few weeks ago, about... The 9th of March, I believe. Yes, yes, uh, 26th of March, that's right. And uh, in a, an article, COVID-19, Navigating the Uncharted, where he wrote, or co-wrote, uh, this suggests that the overall clinical consequences of COVID-19 may ulti- ultimately be more akin to those of a se- severe seasonal influenza, which has a case fatality rate of approximately 0.1%, or a pandemic influenza similar to those in 1957 and 1968, rather than a disease similar to SARS or MERS. And of course, it has become the internet meme, oh, you're dismissing it, oh, it's just the flu, bro, um, is, has become the way of dismissing people who are raising questions about, is this really the Black Death as it is being portrayed? Well, there's Anthony Fauci himself saying, essentially, it's just the flu, bro. Uh, but people are not calling out on that. Again, the disconnect between data and narrative is astounding. And uh, I, I think this is one thing that comes o- out over and over in the experts that you're highlighting there on Off Guardian uh, in your coverage. Yes, I mean, the, um, the it's just the flu thing is one of those really annoying, frustrating things that people say because it totally undermines the point. It's just the flu doesn't mean nobody is going to die, the flu isn't a problem. The flu is a problem. It kills hundreds of thousands of people a year. What it means is it does not pose a societal danger that warrants this kind of reaction that will, many experts say, kill many more times, many hundreds of thousands of people more than the flu kills. I mean, we're talking about unemployment and we're talking about suicide and stress and and it's just the flu means we don't need to destroy our way of life. This is, uh, I mean, it's puzzling on so many levels that one begins to suspect that this is not ultimately about a virus. And I think one way to try to get a handle on what this can really be about, at least one aspect of this, is the response that various governments are putting in in place uh, to this supposed threat. So once again, the scientific side of this is out there. The data is there, and uh, it's incredibly important work that you're doing assembling the various scientific skeptics of the official narrative, and I think that's important. But equally important are the people that are dissenting from the unbelievable power grab that we are witnessing right now. The types of things that if you had spoken about even a couple of months ago, people would have called you a crazy conspiracy theorist for suggesting the government would do them. But here we are. And an excellent compendium of these types of stories of the way police are going crazy all around the world is on Off Guardian. It's called 50 Headlines. Welcome to the New Normal. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this and uh, the types of stories that you're covering in this regard. Well, firstly, we should pay a shout out to um, Consent Factory. They're a Twitter account run by one of our authors who compiled, compiled that whole list on Twitter just as a long Twitter thread. Um, they have done some great work on that. Um, and the, the point really about collating them all to want a long list is just to see how quick we, things have changed. As you said, just two weeks ago, if you said, 
well, they're going to try and take cash away. People would say, you're being paranoid. They're going to surveil people to check check you at bridges to see if you've got a temperature. People would say, they wouldn't do that. That's crazy. But they're all they're, they're planning to do it all. Um, biometric IDs have been like long one of the sort of things that people like us warn about and other people say they wouldn't ever do that. People would resist, but they're bringing them in. They're planning to bring them in and people aren't resisting. People think it's a great idea. It's the, the sea change has been just dramatic. And of course, this is reflected in absolutely every aspect of life from bodily autonomy with forced vaccinations, uh, laws now being passed in Denmark and other places uh, to the complete utter abrogation of any pretense of uh, privacy with Israel and U.S. and many other countries now openly admitting they are collating geolocation data from cell phone services and other things in order to track people. Uh, South Korea makes almost a game of it. You can track uh, various uh, infected patients on online and see their movements and all of this. Um, I've talked, for example, about China and the QR codes they're using for essentially their immunity checkpoints that they've instituted in a number of places. It is all unfolding, and I've been talking about this, and you, you've been highlighting it. But I want to get the specifically the perspective from the UK, which, as you mentioned earlier, did pass a special coronavirus act of some sort. Tell us a little bit about this, what it means, and how it is being enforced now. Well, the coronavirus act is in, incredibly wide-ranging and and highly peculiar piece of legislation. It's it's full of very very vague terms. Um, the most damaging aspect of it is probably the, um, the classification of deaths, which I discussed already. In Scotland, they have passed a secondary bill, because I'm not sure how much you know about the way the UK politics works, but Scotland has what they call a devolved parliament, so it can pass laws just for Scotland. And um, they have abandoned jury trials, because the jury being collected together is too dangerous. Um, so they're going to abandon jury trials and criminal trials are going to be held in front of a judge um, who will be able to hear witness testimony who, if it is deemed too dangerous for the witness to attend court, will pre-record a statement that, of course, is then not open to cross-examination. Cross um, this, is, this is unbelievable. This is the sort of thing that if it was happening in, in Syria or Russia, there'd be headlines in The Guardian saying, look at this brutal legal system. Um, the... Um, the police are getting. Well, the police have gone even further than the than the law allows them to. We just did an article the other day, just collecting examples of massive police overreach. Even like government ministers will come out and say, "Well, they technically shouldn't be doing that," but nobody is actually stepping in to stop it happening. People are being questioned about where they're going and what they're buying. People, um, the chief constable of Northamptonshire said, "We'll check people's shopping bags to make sure they're only buying important things." Um, and then immediately, later that afternoon, I had to say, actually, I, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. But um, there's every indication that's the sort of thing that's coming. And I'm not sure how much of it is going on in other countries. You highlighted in one of your videos that it is. And on top of all of that, there is this bizarre programming where every Thursday people open their windows and clap. And it, it reminds me of... Um, uh, there was a joke in the late 90s. I heard a joke. I think it was in a movie. A guy walks up to to a bartender in a bar. Oh, I might have to curse a little bit. I'm not sure if that's acceptable. Curse away. 
<laughs> a guy walks up to a bartender in a bar and he puts a beer bottle down and he says, I bet you $100 I can piss into this beer bottle from five feet away. And the bartender says, I bet you can't. So he gives it a go and he misses the beer bottle. He pisses everywhere but the beer bottle. He pisses on customers and he pisses on the bartender. And afterwards, he gives him $100 and says, you're right. I can't do it. He goes to the back of the bar and talks to a pool table and they start laughing. And the barman comes over and says, what are you laughing about? And the guy says, oh, I just put this guy $200, but like piss in your face and you'd be happy about it. And, and it reminds me of that every Thursday when people are out there clapping out of their windows because they're not allowed to go outside for government that has told them the truth that this is not dangerous. Not really. And yet they're housebound and house arrested and being encouraged to phone if their neighbors are having too many people around. And it's, it's really bizarre and quite sickening, to be honest. It is a fascinating phenomenon from a psychological perspective, is it not? This, this experiment uh, with public perception management that is going on right under our noses uh, is telling us a lot about the ways that people can be motivated um, to participate in their own enslavement in various ways. And as long as they feel that this is for a common good, it is the feeling, I think, more so than the actual action itself that uh, people feel good about what's happening. On that note, I mean, I think one of the things that has disappointed me the most, surprised me the most, perhaps, out of all of this, is not that governments would attempt to use any crisis, real, imagined, ginned up, uh, actually threatening, whatever it may be, to use any crisis to increase their power. Of course, that is what governments tend to do. But what has surprised me is the way the public, as you say, is not only accepting it, but cheering it on as it goes and gladly participating in the new snitch state culture and everything else that's coming with this. I saw someone going out to the park who didn't have a reason to be there. I better call the authorities. Uh, on, on that note, perhaps even more disturbing than that is the phenomenon that I've noticed of some of the voices that one would expect to be opposed to what is happening right now in fact, cheering it on themselves, which is perplexing. People that you might have been forgiven for thinking were journalists in the truest sense of that word, word of speaking truth to power, are now apparently speaking power to truth. And one, one exchange that I wanted to highlight in that regard, because I think it was particularly instructive, was one that the Off Guardian Twitter account had uh, with Moon of Alabama, uh, at Moon of A. And I will link up this Twitter exchange so people can read it for themselves. Um, but it does start with Off Guardian questioning a Moon of Alabama tweet, saying, surely you're not actually advocating the forced removal of infected people from their homes against their will, uh, which starts a, a back and forth in which Moon of Alabama does not quite come out and say, I want this to happen. But in every case, I support quarantine measures during epidemics. We have had these for many centuries for good reasons. We should again use them. Or you are framing a measure that protects you and other families as arrest and detention. It is neither of those. Uh, it seems a deflection on every count until, uh, I believe, it ends with Moon of Alabama, at least saying he dismisses you, if not uh, blocks you. Um, and then uh, Mark Sloboda uh, joins in and basically piles on uh, to a conversation that he wasn't even tagged in, as far as I'm aware. Um, uh, these types of exchanges are 
unfortunately becoming commonplace, uh, again, with people you would expect would be opposed to the authoritarianism that we are, we are faced with right now. What can you say about the type of feedback and kickback that you've been receiving for the coverage you've been doing? Well, I would say, firstly, the amount of feedback we're getting is actually 90% positive, and it has had a marked impact on our our views and our emails and everything. And people, at least ordinary people, are seeking out a little bit of alternative voice on it, which is reassuring. The um, the press response and the alternate press response was a lot more troubling. I mean, like leftist publications like The Guardian or The Independent in the UK or New York Times in America, they've been warning about the idea of Trump and slightly, to a slightly lesser extent, Boris Johnson becoming fascists and implementing police states. And that's what all the coverage pre-2016 election was about. Trump was a neo-fascist. And the moment they actually introduced what are quasi-fascistic policies, everybody seems to be fine with it. And not just the sort of leftist publications, but then voices in the alternate media as well. Many respected people who have been in this game for like 10 plus years. I don't understand it. Um, I think I think some of it comes from a um, an angle that this is, you know, the the old adage, which I believe is actually completely incorrect, that the Chinese word for crisis is the same as opportunity. And if you can talk up the crisis, there will be an opportunity to change the system. But I can't possibly agree with that. I, and not if the crisis is used to solidate, solidify the power of the system the way it's currently being done. There's not going to be an opportunity to change anything. I mean, the UK coronavirus bill has actually postponed all elections. So unless you think Boris is going to suddenly institute like some real social democratic policies, there's no change coming in the UK. I, I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand it except, except on those terms. On any other terms, I, people have said, oh, well, they are controlled opposition and I'm, that kind of thing. You can't really speak to it. It's a, it's a possibility you can never really rule out, but it's not one that you can ever prove either. So it becomes just a dead end of conversation. But the um, the alternate media have a responsibility to stick to the facts, even if sticking, even if going with the lie could further your agenda. That is not really what we're for, you know. Yes, I I know I I know that very very viscerally because I got into doing what I do precisely because I wanted to help spread what I thought was the truth. And that it's interesting how many times that comes up over the course of, well, the 13 years that I've been doing this anyway, is that, well, but James, if you said this, you know, it may not be true, but at least it'll get us closer to where we want to be. But it's not true. Uh, why? How can I possibly say that I want to forward the truth if I'm going to, well, I'll fudge a little bit here because maybe it'll be good for us. And No, there is no, there is no balancing to go on there. It, either you are going to report the truth or you are not. And... It speaks to me, it's, uh, uh, the only way that I can parse these types of reactions that we're seeing is that this is brought, drawing out an ideological divide that is not the left-right spectrum. It is the, the up-down spectrum, or whatever you want to call that neglected 
uh, dimension of authoritarian who believes in centralization of power and centralization of control versus those who want uh, the decentralization of power and control. And I think that's that's the actual ideological line that's being drawn out here. Regardless, there are authoritarians on the left and the right. Yes, that's a that's a really good that's a really good point. Um, there is obviously a some people will always believe that the centralization of power isn't the problem. It's the person in control of the centralization of the power. Um, I don't subscribe to that personally. I think once, you know, I mean, as uh, Acton said, um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't think there's any way you can transfer that amount of centralized power into something good. It would only corrupt anybody that wielded it. And we know the people that currently have it are already corrupt. And I think that fundamentally is to be something that we need to resist. All right. There are so many important aspects to what's going on right now. And I'm glad there are sites like Off Guardian out there that are that are covering it in the degree of detail that you are. So we once again, direct people to the website off-guardian.org. Of course, the link will be in the show notes. And uh, what are you working on at the moment? Oh, um, at the moment, there's there's an awful lot of um, awful lot of information coming in. Um, I would direct our people also to uh, Swiss Propaganda Research. They they do some great stuff. Um, that's swprs.org. Um, they they were the inspiration behind the um, the experts articles. Just they're just a great database of information. Um. The next, the next topic to really discuss is what's going on with um, the medical treatments that are being suggested. Um, there's an awful lot of articles out there suggesting that the ventilators, you know, the ventilators, which were the whole big talking point just a little while ago, might actually do people more harm than good. Um, and the, there's, a, there's a situation called um, ventilator-induced pneumonia, which an awful lot of people get once they get put on forced intubation. And... It's very dangerous. It can kill like 25 to 50 percent of the people that get it. And of course, with the loosely classified death situation, they will now be called COVID-19 deaths. Um, that's something that we're investigating right now. I couldn't say exactly when the article about that will be up, but it should be in the next couple of days. Yeah, that's an exceptionally important point. Again, I don't think a lot of people are, are really... Uh, uh, familiar with ventilation, ventilators as a medical treatment and intubation and, and the, the exceptionally serious nature of that and the fact that it can kill the people that it is meant to help and it is only for extreme circumstances. Unfortunately, uh, as you point out, it has undoubtedly been overused and now some a lot of doctors are coming out and saying we should not be doing this so much. So extremely important thing to be working on. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, we will wrap it up here at this point. And once again, direct people to the website. I'm very much looking forward to your ongoing work and just want to encourage you in it because it is more important than it has ever been, I think, in our lifetime to be doing this type of work. So I do appreciate the work that you're doing, Kit Knightley. Thank you very much for joining us today. No problem at all. Thank you very much for having me.